welcome to Vassals of Kingsgrave. I'm Kevin, Uncle Kevin on the forums, and today we'll be discussing Sword of Destiny, Andrei Sapkowski's second installment in the Witcher series. We'll be talking about the second trio of short stories, as we've already discussed the first, and before entering the novel proper with Blood of Elves on the next installment. Today I'm joined by... Hi, I'm Michal Inc. as Rain on the forums. Hey guys, this is Paul, Sir General on the forums. Hey guys, it's Bean at 007 on the forums. Hey, I'm David. Hello, I'm Bing, uh, Shushan on the forums. Hey everyone, it's Mary and Nymeria on the forums. We've finished the second book, made it through the ball read now. The second half of the short stories, A Little Sacrifice, Sword of Destiny, and Something More. Um, do we want to start with general impressions of these stories compared to the other half of this book or the, the prior book, The Last Wish? I think a newbie should go first. Yay, I'm going. Uh, so it's um uh, i'm it's on i'm into it i'm uh impatient to get into the books uh actually uh the novels um these three stories were like yeah just compelling and um uh i'm loving the new characters that we've met they're also more emotionally um heavy like we've have we have characters dying we have wars we have um yeah so it's um it's more compelling more um in a way more realistic it's less um less removed um than the the first um series uh, the first stories uh yeah so i liked it and i'm i'm happy to have stuck to this point yeah are we, gonna do I ratings? Think, are we doing ratings or no yeah are we doing ratings yeah, let's know. do ratings okay we did Golden Dragons last time. Um, how many lost princesses in the forest? <laughs> yeah, I was going to say that might be a little too human trafficy for this. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, but then again, that's what the Jews are doing. Out of how many yeah. flashbacks? Yeah, how many flashbacks? <laughs> there we go. Well, um, I'm going to say yeah, four out of five flashbacks. Just. I really loved it, but still four because uh, I, I, I'm still not a huge fan of uh, short stories in general. But um, but four to five, yeah. Okay, I'm I'm gonna vote that um, us newbies we we all go first here. So I think I agree with four out of five. Um, I think that the stories all got way tighter. Um, you know, they seem to have the right amount of characters. Generally, there's somewhere between three and and six characters in each story that really do anything as opposed to what felt like dozens and some of the others. <laughs> um, so I thought they really tightened up with, the, with these stories and there, there wasn't just sort of that lull that I think I got with some of the prior ones about 30 or 40 pages in. Um, so I definitely enjoyed it. A lot of action, um, good philosophical and moral moments um, that, that um, I think, give you a hint sort of what the I don't want to say the necessarily the theme of the whole series is because I don't know that yet but sort of give you a hint on um how the author feels about the world he's created and all the bad things that are happening um so I I enjoyed that I agree four flashbacks out of five which is up for me because I think I was in maybe the threes before so David I think that that puts you next go I'll 
continue the trend of four flashbacks out of five. I liked it. A lot of stuff happened. Some of it actually seemed pretty relevant to the main storyline, especially last story or two there. Um, I was a little surprised to see your events like war and some deaths happen off camera. Um, I'll be interested to see where it goes from there. I'm in. I'm in. He seems to be like getting his feeding, his footing here, you know, so it seems like Sapkowski got an idea of what he Wayne story and let's do it. Bina is technically a first time reader. I forget because she got ahead of us. That was yeah, shaming. The only, reason, the only reason I got ahead is because <laughs> I really felt that these last three stories in particular, the last one um, piqued my interest so much that I couldn't not go on to the next, the first full book, the first novel. Um, so I'd give the, the back end, the final three stories, probably a 4.5. Um, and sneak peek, I'd give the first novel a five. I mean, I, I just think it's really, you know, like people have said, it, it's coalescing, it's getting tighter, and it's increasingly whetting your appetite for the main story. So I really, really enjoyed it. All right. Yeah, I really like this stuff. I, I, I you know, there's always, there's stuff that annoys me. There's like little, what? little comments about women or, or whatever. Um, but I, I just, I think these are three really strong emotional stories and they give you a really good insight into Geralt as a character and you know the way way he regards people the way he regards his life um and I think it you know picks up very much from what we were talking about last time which is um like a certain aimlessness and lack of purpose on the character's part um or Geralt specifically and this is really I feel like Sapkowski actively tackling that and giving us a lot of information a lot of character information not just like world building information because like i don't really care about world building information um and yeah i think there's there's definitely parts in in these stories that really kind of make me sit back and like think about them and um some lines about humanity or about destiny or about you know people just interacting with each other um that i find really intense and um yeah the last story especially is um like finding out off screen what happens to a lot of the characters you've met is uh is quite a punch i think also big strong man with little sweet girl <laughs> or not sweet she's not sweet. <laughs> <laughs> she's a little rascal so far, I, she's I was going to say yeah. <laughs> it's basically every Dwayne the rock johnson film isn't it and i'm here yeah. for it <laughs> yes it's also it gives me like big uh, i mean in reverse chronology but like um very intense uh baby yoda mandalorian vibes and i just <laughs> that kind of thing oh yeah i i would also give these like a four out of five specifically as compared to the other short stories because i think like out of these three the last two are kind of I would say more necessary reading if you're going to just do the regular series and don't want to do the short stories. Uh, because I definitely say these two, the one where Geralt first meets Yennefer, forget what that one's, I think, I, oh, The Last Wish, duh. And uh, the one where he uh, attends the banquet with Queen Calanthe and all that. I think those would be the four... Uh, if you had to narrow someone down to just four of the short stories before reading the main series, those are the ones you would want them to read first. Uh, 
But yeah, these are definitely, I would say, more interesting of the short stories because they ramp us up for the actual main series with their uh, cons- their uh, new edition of Siri with Sword of Destiny. Um, in that you actually start to see Geralt actually beginning to kind of have this. Uh, because beforehand, before now, he's just been a wanderer. All these short stories have been kind of just scattered all over the place. Some have been very random. And uh, now we're actually starting to see kind of an actual journey taking place starting in these short stories. Uh, and I just, you, you just really learn to love Siri. And you see some of your, like, some of the favorite characters pop up. Dandelion shows up because obviously somehow he gets stuck in the middle of everything. <laughs> but, um, yeah, these are definitely, I think, the short stories that actually started to get me more into the Witcher series. Uh, when I first started, I was like, okay, these short stories are all right. But once we actually started to get into the plot of what the series is going to be about, uh, that definitely kind of just sold me on it. Yeah, um, I have to say that uh, the – so I, I sort of have to split uh, these three up again in the sense that I would give uh, a little sacrifice probably a four. It's a really good standalone story, and I think uh, the character, S.E. Devon, is actually really, really strong compared to all the other – sort of, you can say, short story-only characters that we've had encountered before. Um, and I would basically consider the last two stories basically part of the main plot of the novels, essentially. Um, you kind of need to read them if you want to start uh, the main plot of the main novels, I feel like. Um, and sort of sort of Destiny is probably one of them, my favorite story out of the entire books. Um, but So I would probably give the last two probably 4.5 to 5, and something more just gut punch for most of it. Um, and finally, everything finally sums up in, in a nice way. Um, I would have to say, uh, Siri is probably my favorite fantasy character of all time. <laughs> so, uh, you can, you, you wow. Can yeah. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, that makes me really excited for the rest of the books. Cause I already really love her. And now it's like, wow, what else is going to happen? Yeah. Um, and, and, and Spoiler. Just, a lot, a lot. Yeah. <laughs> They, the, the Some good, novels, a lot of it bad. A lot of it bad, yeah. But like this, the novels <laughs> revolve around her a lot more than it revolves around Geralt. I, that's all I have to say going forward. Um, Geralt is the like most famous, I think, secondary character we kind of learn about yes. because of how the series is more just about Siri. In, this, in these books and in Witcher 3, the video game. Well, um, that's good. Because I did, I was, I was thinking the other day about how um, I'm not sure I could read a whole series if it's if it's tightly focused on Geralt that I would probably get um, pretty tired of him. So I feel like there's a lot more room for growth in different directions with Siri. Yeah, I know, but I I will say that like these we made you all read them all obviously, but I think you know people really need to read basically. I guess the Witcher story, just to start things off, they need to read A Question of Price, maybe, um, which is the one that takes place in Sintra, um, maybe The Last Wish, depending, um, and then these three stories, and it's, yeah, and they're, they're, they're essential to getting to know, yeah, just the, the people, and, and more importantly, I think the, the depth of themes that, you know, Sapkowski is really interested in, and you know, I, I think you kind of get 
what what makes these stories stand out particularly is you start to understand why he's writing them. You know, they're not just like fun or not fun, depending on how you feel. Fantasy um, stories, they they really have things to say and and important commentary on um, on reality and and his own world. So, agreed. Well, I think I think we're ready to hop into the individual stories. So, uh, Michal, you had the review for a little sacrifice. Yes, I am going to uh, read from the Wikipedia because um, honestly, stuff's busy. I don't know have time to write my own. and that's what the wiki's for exactly (laughs) um so a little sacrifice gerald helps duke aglaval propose to his lover the mermaid shianaz the proposal is unsuccessful because neither party agrees to transform themselves to live with the other which results in aglaval refusing to pay gerald by the way commentary aglaval sucks he meets up with dandelion who is hired to play uh a um to play second at a local betrothal um, his, the other bard at the, uh, at the party is Essie Dobbin, also known as Little Eye, and Dandelion almost has, like, a fit of a popalixy at the idea of p- playing with another <laughs> bard, and I like that very much. Um, but it turns out they are very close friends and, um, a near sister of Dandelion. Um, uh, Duke Agaval arrives with a new job for Geralt because a pearl diving boat was found uh, with the crew vanished and slaughtered, um, which Agaval believes is the work of a sea monster. Um, Geralt accepts the job the next morning, mostly because he promised Dandelion that he would take whatever came next because he begged Dandelion to take this job. Um, and um, he and he follows Essie onto a terrace have already not gotten off to the greatest of starts um and they share a kiss that they're both kind of like uh what happened there um dandelion later remarks that Geralt kissed her because he wants to know how far her fascination with the witcher would go and uh how much um and that for how much he hates his own otherness he also flaunts it uh because basically he's 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 still emo Geralt in this story. Um, The next day, um, Geralt starts his job with Essie joining him um, to see a witcher at work. Geralt can't find anyone willing to take him out to the fishing boat's last known location. And the mermaid Shianaz, who Sapkowski writes every single time she shows up, how nice her breasts are, um, wards Geralt away from the dragon's fangs, which is where the disappearance happened, um, which Essie believes indicates the mermaid's kilt. Essie's knowledge of the oceans and tides, however, gives Geralt the idea to wade out to the fangs at low tide, which he does with Dandelion, um, and he won't let Essie come and help them. Um, They find a set of stairs leading downward into the water, which Dandelion thinks uh, leads to the sunken city of East, which is, I think, a a name worthy of Martin. Spelled (laughs) Y-S. Uh, a bell begins to tell from underwater and the pair are attacked by undersea creatures wearing armor, armor and carrying weapons aka they are sentient and intelligent um, Geralt is dragged underwater but he and Dandelion escape and they are saved by Shianaz who warns him away from the ocean again. As he dresses his wounds and tells him that he that she is in love with him um, but Geralt uh, can't bring himself to reciprocate any kind of feeling toward her because he is still obsessed with Yennefer um, but he does allow Essie to stay with him. And um, after Nanolion has been collecting a bunch of uh, shells that 
just our normal shells. And he's like, one of these will have a pearl I can give to Essie for her birthday. Uh, Geralt finds a blue shell that contains a pearl that he gives to her. Um, and he tells her that this will basically be her talisman um, that, that he can't serve for her. Geralt, the next day, tells Agaval of the newly discovered race. And he's like, basically, you, you got to you gotta stop the pearl diving because they're just going to slaughter you. Um, Agaval wants to go to war with the creature. And Geralt and Essie are like, that's a really bad fucking idea. Um, and the insults basically just continue to escalate until uh, a exit mermaid. Um, and she comes in, having made the little sacrifice of her tail uh, to become human so that she may marry Agaval and live with him on land forever. Um, much is said of spawning. Uh, Geralt, Dandelion, and Essie uh, leave together quite companionably, and they spend a few days together on the road. Um, the night before they are set to part, um, Dandelion is basically like, guys, please have sex and get this out of your system. I cannot stand this anymore. Um, and they have a conversation, and I think you know it's it's implied that Geralt admits to her that he can't you know reciprocate the love that she feels because of um because of Yennefer uh but they do have sex and <laughs> everything is all right um and then they both fall asleep and Dandelion composes a ballad in secret the night before the night that night um about a butcher and a bard falling in love at, at the beach that has a happy ending um that he never performs again because as he dies of smallpox a few years later and Dandelion buries her with her loot and the pearl that is protective that Geralt gave her. And I think whatever you think of this story, the last like page or two just makes it just like amps it up to like, Oh my God. Like, Whoa, the, the, the feel here. You're choking up. Yeah, <laughs> no, I'm not I'm actually just, just woke up, but this is my morning. <laughs> but I do find the end of this story really, really emotional. Um, for, for as much as I don't really buy the, like, I'm in love with you, man. I met yesterday. <laughs> um, proclamation. Uh, I, I really think I really think the end provides a, a great punch. Um, and this story also has a more mature version of Dandelion that we rarely get to see, and is um, much appreciated. So that is a little sacrifice. For once, Dandelion did not hit on a girl. Oh my god! Right? <laughs> he probably already did years ago, though. Well, he did. He's just not Essie. <laughs> He's not. Like, in the story. He has a very elaborate plan to, like, seduce the the girls. Like, so he's singing to the ugly girl, so that the pretty girl will be getting... Honestly, Dandelion. Yeah, which is like, that's yeah. so cruel. But um, it, it was so nice to, to see him have a more mature relationship with someone. Yeah. Um, so, the uh, is legend, that, that's, not, that's not just a... In this book, I mean, it's, it's something that comes from uh, real life legends. You mean the I'm not asking, I'm saying. Aethiopians or yeah. a, little, a Little Mermaid, which is. Uh, both. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. uh, but uh, no, just because Michal said that uh, the name was worthy of, of uh, George Martin, and it's. Right. Uh, I'd invoked. actually read it before, uh, the name. It appeared in other fantasy books that I've read, so. Oh, my bad. Oh, okay. right, right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But it's I mean, also Atlantis and the yeah, idea of course, of, of course. But I even the name I, I I'd already read uh, elsewhere. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there was some games like a very days. Lovecraftian element to it, certainly. Yeah. An underground city with angry fish people living in it. Do they? I'm 
I guess maybe spoilery here, but will we see them again? Never. At any point? Okay. Nope. Nope. No, not one little element do we ever see again of the in fish a, people. In a Witcher game, Geralt can just fight in underwater just fine. In the oceans, just fine. You can swim across the entire map. Okay. In fact, I was wondering if maybe that would be something they were building in the in the game. Oh well. Alas, you just fight drowners. And so sirens. many drowners and sirens. I agree with Michal. Um, uneasiness <laughs> at the fact that oh my god, this uh, siren is just mermaid, whatever, is just so uh, she has such beautiful breasts that you can say it once maybe, but just not every time she shows up, please. <laughs> yeah. Like It's also every single character that's the very first thing they pay attention to, even yeah. as in Evan. Yeah. It must be very great then. <laughs> <laughs> well, and then when, when it was like, as he looked sadly down at her own charms which barely protruded out of her dress I'm like, yeah. okay, come on, dude. Yeah, that was a rough. Yeah. These books are definitely a mixed bag, but I think they're worth it in the end. I mean, other than the the the, the very very bizarre fascination. Well, anyways, um, I do think Shanaz is probably my one of my favorite like these random characters in these stories. Um, she's just so sassy. Yeah, um, and I, her- I, yeah, it's really it's it, it's really a mixed bag, as you said. Like it's just you've got these characters, female characters. Uh, who are amazing and really sassy and badass and powerful. Um, you've got these weird um, sexist things that you'd like not to have. And you also have a big conversation about uh, a woman's right to to choose. Uh, and and you're like, okay, how does that all go together? Mm-hmm, <laughs> it's, mm-hmm. uh, it's a bit, yeah. Yeah, yeah they're definitely a story, but... Yeah, they definitely are. Uh, I mean, and, and the books do get better in terms of in terms of that they 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 go more down the uh the second path yeah i don't know i wonder how much of this is just kind of like fantasy tropes of like the 80s and 90s Mm. you know like Mm. it's it's the you know i mean these were written in the early 90s and there there weren't a ton i mean there were some obviously but like there weren't a ton of like fantasy novels that treated women like full human beings (laughs) yeah you know yeah with and it might also be the fact that like it gets better later on as Sukowski actually starts to write like like chapters from a female point of view mm-hmm. when all his other previous ones have all just been from the male point of view so mm-hmm. he might actually have gotten some more empathy and understanding from uh entering that side of things with a uh, yeah, I like this story for sure specifically because for those of you who listen to the audiobook they actually have like you have Geralt actually singing to the <laughs> siren to communicate with her and so it's like this really gravelly like Jeanance and he's like I I just remember Mikhail just being very tickled pink by the idea of Geralt singing to the mermaid yeah the audiobook yeah, is hilarious it is hilarious because the 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 guy who reads it is also just very good and he gets how like awkward Geralt feels like mm-hmm. in the singing um yeah actually highly recommend listening to the audiobooks and that story in particular I also I I love kind of the reverse um of of standards or, or whatever uh in this story because it really is Dandelion being like you know being the one who like has to come through um 
after you have that delightfully passive-aggressive, Geralt was not angry at Dandelion six paragraphs later. No, he definitely wasn't angry at Dandelion. Um, Dandelion did not believe him. Uh, yeah, so I really I really like that Geralt is the one who has to be like, please take this job, oh my god, kind of malfunctions in the presence of two bards together, which is pretty hilarious. Well, even worse, being second fiddle, I mean. Yeah, literally. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. <laughs> I... I'm not sure what I think of, like, Sheena's and what she does there, our mermaid. First of all, do you think that she made her sacrifice to prevent this war, or did she do it because she really wanted to beat the awful Aglava? I think there is an attraction in the beginning. I do think right. she could became more disillusioned about him over time. Um, but I think you have a point on it, sort of, sort of the, the preventing war aspect, although I'm not too sure about exactly how she is associated with the 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 the, the fish kingdom um i don't know if she's like a important person amongst them i know i know she sort of blew a horn and then they sort of all retreated but um it's that that part's never really explained um but i do think that in part there's the, it sort of goes into the theme of sacrifice um and and it's kind of interesting that you can sort of you sort of have to guess at exactly what she's sacrificing there is it just is it just her 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 lovely fins uh or is it actually just like her? She's she's willing to to you know sacrifice part of her, I don't know, comfort and 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 freedom in order to to safeguard the 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 safe the peace of the of the realm, which would make her probably one of the greatest most most person in the entire world. Protected the peace between the seas and the the land. Because I mean, Aglaval just does not come across as. In any way, someone you'd want to know. He's like stubborn and is like, hey, she can come to me. She can get rid of hers. She'll do it. What, you want me to sacrifice? I mean, like the whole story is called a little sacrifice and he's not willing to do any at any time in any way. And he just like bullies, bullies everyone around him and expects everyone to turn to him. And that's kind of why I didn't like the ending, because she has to sacrifice for him because God forbid. Right. And then so it's like. I, I feel like if anything, as you said, she's become like more disillusioned with him and then she ends up giving everything up for him. So that's why I feel like it wasn't decided she loved him and I'm going to do it. I'm just doing the piece. And I wonder if, you know, she's going to now end up because she's basically taught him the lesson. It's relationship. If I dig my heels in, she'll give in to me. So I feel like she's not they're not going to have a very happy going. So it's not really the happy ending that likely get for. Well, isn't traditionally the Little Mermaid story, like the original Little Mermaid story, not really a happy ending either? Yeah, with her, uh, she does turn into sea foam, and he does uh, betray her and all that. Yeah, I, I don't know. I I kind of, what bothers me more is that, like, Aglaval gets what he wants. Right, <laughs> to exactly. To me, like, I'm, I'm annoyed at that. Right. I, 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 will, I will kind of... Um, I'm comfortable with being like, I don't really know what a mermaid wants out of a relationship. Right. So like, you know, um, and, and I get the sense that she feels like she still has the power in, in that um, dynamic just from there, that interaction at the end, like he's on his knees and, you know, I don't know. Um, but I think it was, I don't know. I, I have mixed feelings on it, but I, I do think that it, it is an interesting, like, like when Essie says that, like, you're a terrible person, but somehow your heart is still capable of loving a mermaid. And, like, that is a redeeming factor of, y of you. Um, I don't know. I find that an interesting idea that, like, there's some kind of transcendence that can be found through, like, love and... 
when he was perfectly willing to commit ocean genocide just a few moments earlier. Yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> Which I'm pretty sure would not have worked. <laughs> yeah, they'd have been slaughtered. I, I thought he was, Agalaval was a pretty interesting character, though, just because, I mean, he is, obviously, he, I think I think it said, was he the third generation of his family that had been the, the title was Duke. They had sort of carved out this little region, I guess, or town of Brimmervord, like that they ruled. And there there was a certain sense of like hard times call for hard leaders, like that they were still sort of in the phase as a civilization that they were kind of clawing and creating their own existence. But you see where like maybe he is taking advantage of everyone still being in that mindset to make his own well-being more comfortable and make his own you know and secure his own power so i don't know there i did get a sense that there was kind of some sympathy that you kind of have to be a hard ass to rule this at this place right now but that maybe he was taking it quite a bit too far as well i mean he does kind of set the standard for like rulers we do see farther down the line of it's they're either obsessed with what they want or with what they call quote unquote reasons of state, which are just excuses of, well, you know, everything will descend into chaos if we don't do this a horrible thing. So, yeah, I'm not impressed. Yeah. <laughs> but I mean, I guess I guess my thinking, though, is I mean, obviously, I haven't read the main story, but it kind of seems like a lot of things do descend into chaos. So there there is a certain level of how, you know, how are you? How can you be an effective ruler in this situation? You know, you, I mean, the first priority is to protect your people in what is a pretty chaotic world. So I I don't want to just, I, I mean, I know we have the sensibilities that we see nobility and royalty and the way that they act and the way they're very, you know, they're very pompous and our sensibilities right away turn us off to them. But in a world like this, it, it doesn't, it does interest me at least the question of how much of hard times are necessary and you know and how much are they abusing it because they certainly are i think it was sort of pointed out by gerald that they all they needed to do to, to prevent this conflict was to just not go in yeah. pearl farm in that specific location uh which was already pretty dangerous place anyways that you shouldn't go to and it just so happens that one crew was stupid enough to sell there and then get themselves killed um, but he was just not willing to do so because I mean, and it's not for any specific reason over the welfare of his right. people, but more like, I need that money. I want to make money. I gotta have my money. So my my understanding was that they that that was like the entirety where they could get pearls, and that was and that their people relied on that. Did I misunderstand that? Um, well, I mean, they, they they said that there was sort of a legend specifically around the, what's that place called? The, the, the where the two strutting rocks, fangs like, or okay. something. Yeah, fangs. yeah. The, the, the people, I, dragon fangs. People usually don't go there, anyways, except for like with this one occasion where this this group was stupid enough to do yeah. so. Okay. No, what I got, what I got is that um, the other places where they can get the pearls are like dried out. Um, and sure. so he sends someone there, the these team there, to to get a new um, a new place to to get the pearls. Uh, but there's no pills anywhere else anymore, and they do rely on them to um, to yet yeah, fit the village. But uh, although I guess they could just fish. Uh, well, that's but, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, uh, but yeah, I I did get the sense that like he's saying that 
if uh, they don't get the pearls, they will starve. And he's actually saying that to Gerald. He's like, well, but um, I can't do that. I can't just leave, leave it alone because um, my people will starve. But it doesn't come across as uh, his main reason or his actual reason. It's like right. um, it's the way he explains and justifies himself. I, I agree. I mean, I feel like he says that, but do you think he cares? I don't know. He, he seems to be more like a, look, I want to do this and I'm going to do this because I'm a privileged bitch. And, you know, <laughs> I don't expect anyone. I expect everyone else to change and get out of my way and, and allow me to do what I want. And if you don't, then we're going to. Ha- and if that means that, you know, we end up going to war and my people get slaughtered. Well, you know, that's that's how, what's got to happen. Like, it seems like the he seems like the kind of person who doesn't make take any responsibility for his own actions and makes it instead like that passive aggressive. Well, well, I had to, you know, because that's what I had to do. Just doesn't I don't feel like he doesn't take any just wants to do what he wants to do. And whatever the consequences for whoever, well, who cares? And that's why it kind of bothers me that he basically gets what. Also, he just, like, doesn't seem particularly sincere when he's talking about, like, Geralt and, you know, I mean, the the refusal of payment is right. is is pretty galling i think like you hauled this guy out on a boat and like she said no that's not his like that's not right. Geralt's problem <laughs> exactly he's a bully who gets away with yeah somebody. yeah and he's and a I do bully think, and a skinflint i do think his um i mean his concern for his population is i mean it's sort of narcissistic you know he he cares about them to the extent that he wants to be the ruler of something, and if all your people die, then you're the ruler of nothing. But um, I don't know. Just definitely, I, I do think there there's just there was meant to be a little more tension in the idea of of these rulers are yeah they're awful, but they are trying to survive in an awful world too. Yeah, I mean possibly it's it's the um, I don't know the necessities of what you do for power slash the corruptive you know qualities of power are definitely something that come up and so do like the transform transformative power of love is a, is a big theme um in the stories too so i think this this is kind of like one of those opening salvos and in, in those ideas dig in so i i think like how i think this is one of the opening salvos and in, in the idea of like um the transformative power of love slash the corruptive power of power you know so it's it's kind of like Aglaval is sort of doing the work of both of those ideas and I wouldn't necessarily say that like he does it successfully as a character um, but I think that might be where Sapkowski is coming from and kind of what he's trying to get across. The only thing is I feel like you know we have kind of two love stories in here you can call it that and and the first one seems really insincere i you know uh the duke and and the mermaid they just put her in a pool we'll see if she agrees to get <laughs> you know yeah it just That's doesn't the power of love yeah it's that and and then of course we got got Geralt and little eye and that doesn't seem like my love story either <laughs> So I don't know where he's going well, at. Well, that's not a love story. story. That's like an unlove story. Right. Yeah. Well, that's my point. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like neither it's of a, these is like a yes, one-sided. Genuinely. Uh, uh, right. It's a tragic one-sided um, obsession. Yeah. And yeah. It, it is kind of interesting in how kind of we see more kind of love and respect coming from Geralt and Essie in that like, yeah, like. 
they're not really in love, but they do feel a connection. But they like both mutually kind of respect each other. And then you have Algoval who's like, I am deeply in love with you, so I'm going to kidnap you because it's what I want. Mm-hmm. And you're just like, that's not how this works. Also, I don't know if we're going to move on at any point, but one thing I also just kind of like, no, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, at some point this. we will. Ever, ever, I'm not never. I'm on this story. Paul, can you make a little sacrifice talk and talk about this much, forever? But um, how at the end of the story, as Dandelion is kind of seen to himself, we have a werewolf sneaking up on the group, thinking to attack them. He then discovers it's Dandelion, listens for a bit, and then goes away because he's like, oh, I like Dandelion. Dandelion's good. And it's just one of those little random tidbits of the world where you're like, was that really necessary? And then you kind of go, ah, well, it was, it was interesting. Speaking of which, I remember when we were talking at the chat, at least, about the four like, weeks ago, I remember going, oh, Dandelion is so great in the next story. Even at the last podcast. And, and I was reading this waiting for like the great Dandelion moments, and I felt like a little you know, bitter and a little, I don't know. It was just... I, what did you what did you guys what what made you all say that what did you think of why did you like him I thought there was a lot more depth to him I think I think just um his relationship um with Issy and or what's her sorry I'm mispronouncing her name Issa Essie um, okay sorry um I thought his relationship with her really I mean it showed him ha- treating a woman as an adult and having just a, a person yeah <laughs> having just a totally kind of different depth to him. Um, and then and then definitely, I mean, say what you will, but, like, I think his womanizing is a little, is a, a lot lighter in this story. It's not quite as, not quite as, um, you know, ogling. Diet and, womanizing? Yeah. And, and, I mean, it's it's just easier to read. You know, it's not the, the weird comments and the... Um, it's not quite as center yeah. stage as... yeah. It is other, yeah. I, I mean, I like Dandelion in the story, first of all, because I think the end is so sad. Um, and, and the idea of, like, this character that we've, you know, interacted with almost exclusively as a really, really superficial, you know, funny, but also, like, really, in some ways, very gross character, you know, having having that experience of, like, staying with a friend as she dies during a plague and then burying her. Um, I, I think that's just very, like, that's very moving, and, and it retroactively says more about Dandelion than maybe the story itself does. But I also just really like that he, like, calls Geralt out on a lot of his shit, you know? And he, he's kind of like, you know, you 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 treated Essie, treated Essie in, 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 like, this way because he, because you are an emo dummy and are like, oh, she doesn't like me for me. She just wants to sleep with a witcher. Blah, 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 blah. You know, and he's like, get over yourself and treat her nicely. And I, I find that unusually astute, <laughs> let's say, for Dandelion. Yeah, completely agree with you uh, right there. But the ending, just the, the last page is really, really, like, just really good and really sad. Yeah, and that, that's actually why I kind of, I love the, the werewolf line, because, like, yeah, the text is like, oh, and he, he realized it was Dandelion, so he just listened and left. Um, but I, I don't know, I think that there's some kind of, like, it could just be a funny line, but I don't think it is. I, I, I think there's just something about, like, the power of song and you know, the, 
I think I think in this story, um, Sapkowski is trying to do a little bit more, is trying to create a little bit more depth to Dandelion. And I, I think that last line kind of suggests that there is more power to the the what he's doing as a bard and the power of those of his songs and whatever than um, than maybe we regard in most of the story. Yes, exactly. Which is kind of which is really nice because. Um, like as a musician myself, I do believe strongly in the, like the power that music can have on people and uh, the sensibility that it requires to 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 make good music. And um, and it's uh, I I love this part of the story of the fact that that like you of you never really hear uh, Dandelion sing because you're reading a book and um, and you only see him through his interactions with women mostly which I don't excuse, but um, you also get that there is something to what he does. Uh, it's not just frivolity. I also wonder with him, do you think that he is as popular and beloved as he claims to be? <laughs> like, do you think, we only really know from, we don't really get to see everyone like anyone fawning. Do you think, do you think it's all in his head or he's well known that like, oh, Dandelion's in town. Oh well, no, he, yeah, I think, I think he is pretty yeah, in the later in the later books, you definitely get the feeling that he is generally famous. Maybe not like an A list, maybe more of a B list, but like people <laughs> do come to like see his like performances and I believe the entire like first part of Blood of Elves, part of the first part of Blood of Elves is just Dandelion singing to a massive crowd of people. Spoilers: Dandelion sings. Oh no, you ruined it. That opens with like Woodstock. I don't even know what to call this world. Witcher Woodstock. <laughs> it's just the continent. One one last thing I want to say is I really like when um, <laughs> when Essie's like Geralt, you're sensitive, and he's like, I'm not sensitive. You're sensitive. <laughs> <laughs> um, let's move into the Sword of Destiny, which I believe is being. It starts with Geralt uh, being sent into the Brokilon forests, which were ruled over by uh, these group of people known, uh, people known as Dryads, uh, by King Venslav of Bruges, which was a kingdom that bordered uh, the forest, the forest of Brokilon. Uh, so Dryads are basically um, they're, they're a race of people of, of wood people. Um, they're all female, exclusively female race. Um, Many of them, some of them were originally uh, uh, human who were transformed by magical means into these people. Um, but essentially, they've been at war with all the neighboring human kingdoms. Um, and over time, their their lands and their people have dr- dramatically decreased due to human incursion. Um, and they have now since uh, essentially established a policy of shoot on sight of any human being who enters these forests without their permission. Um, so uh, Geralt had previously had uh, had some dealings with their queen, Ethne, um, who uh, has since uh, allowed him to be able to enter these forests. And so he goes into the forest, he discovers uh, one of them had already, a, a young squire had already met his end uh, by arrows. And then he soon found another wounded man, uh, a person that he had previously helped named Frexinet. Um, he found out that Frexinet uh, was 
only in these forests because he is chasing after uh, a princess, supposedly a princess, who had run into the forests willy-nilly um, and has since been injured by the Dryads. Um, soon the Dryads' army appears, um, and Geralt uh, was able to convince uh, them to first allow uh, Geralt to go meet with Queen Efni, um, and second to uh, spare Frexenet and um, and tend to his wounds. Um, so Geralt was led was, was led by one of these dryads, uh, a relatively new dryad named Brienne. Um, and in their uh, in their in the journey to the center of the forest to uh, Duin Canal, which is essentially the heart of the the Brokilong, uh forests. Um, they found out that a little girl was being threatened by a giant centipede. Um, and they, so Geralt does his witcher thing, kills the centipede, saves the, the girl, and the girl starts acting out and claims that she is a princess and they should listen to what she says. Um, and eventually Geralt found out that the, the girl uh, was originally going to be sent to meet with, his, with her potential fiancé, uh, Prince Kistrin of Verdon, um, but uh, she had other ideas. Um, didn't like how Kistrin smelled, found him to be very obnoxious, so she decides to run away into the Brokilon forests. Um, so eventually, uh, Brand agrees to take Siri uh, along with the Witcher to meet with Evni. Um, so they had to stay at night during in the forest. At night, Siri asks. Uh, Geralt to tell him the story. He tells him the story of uh, the fox and the cat arguing about who who is better at uh, eluding uh, hunters. The fox claimed that he has many, many techniques. Cat has one, run up to the top of a tree. Eventually, a hunter comes. The cat survives by running up to the top of a tree. The fox is made into a pelt. Um, anyway, so as so eventually they made their way, the three made their way to meet with Ethne. Um, they found that, uh, that the Dryads has also uh, kept their promise and brought uh, Frexenet to be healed in uh, Duin Canal. Um, Geralt knows exactly what's going to happen to Frexenet, which is that he's going to become a breeder for the Dryads, um, which he Frexenet was not too um, sad about, although Geralt reminds him that this is, this is a very perfunctory thing for the Dryads, so don't get too excited. Um, Finally, Geralt meets with Efni, um, and he knows that uh, Efni also plans to give um, Ciri this magical water, which will essentially transform her into a dryad. Um, and they get into an argument about the relationships between the dryads, and but also all these other, these, the so-called the other non-human races with the, with the humans, um, with mankind. And Geralt makes the point that Look, it's going eventually. Man, the progress of mankind cannot be stopped. You either have to learn to live with them, uh, or you're, or you're, you're going to go extinct eventually. Whereas Evni insists on keep fighting them. Um, but eventually, so but what Agar doesn't understand, doesn't realize was that, as it turns out, uh, the the dryads' magic have no effect on Siri whatsoever. Siri was somebody who's special, and eventually, Geralt ex- eventually understood why she was special because she eventually uh, realizes that Siri was the well she was she was the the daughter of uh, Duni and Pavada uh, Paveda all the way back uh, a book ago uh, from 
uh, a question of price. Um, so eventually, Siri, uh, Evni allows Siri to to leave with Geralt uh, on their way to this time to back to Sintra, back to her grandmother uh, Kalanfi. They were being waylaid by a group of mercenaries uh, hired by the King of Verdun. Um, Siri runs up a tree. Hey, he's the story. Uh, and Geralt uh, fights with the, the so fights with these mercenaries. Eventually, the another returning character, the Druid Malsasak, came and helped them out um, and to defeat the, the mercenaries. And Malsasak uh, asked Geralt what he's going to do from now on, reminding him that Ciri is his um, is is the child uh, that was promised to him by the 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 um, what was that? Um, by 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 when he said, uh, "Give me what uh, you you." The law of surprise. Yeah, law of surprise. Yeah, that thing. By by the law of surprise, and um, so but Geralt decides that he is instead just going to leave Siri, um, and and ask Mosesak to escort her back to Kalanfi, um, despite uh, that Siri very much wants to go with him, um, and that's sort of the end of this story. Humans are the virus. <laughs> So yeah, there's this, there is that larger theme. Well, I do. I, that's another, I mean, and I don't know kind of how this all plays out in the, in the main story. Like I'm hoping there's not just some magic pill fixed to a lot of these things, but definitely not. Nope. Good. Good. Because, because honestly, to the point that, that you might actually wish that there was. A certain yes. <laughs> okay. Um, it's even worse in the video. Tell me, ask Paul how many times I messaged him almost cry. <laughs> a lot <laughs> but like it was very just, fun just the <laughs> i mean i i do think this these books so far have done a great job of just sort of showing um how complex progress you know that on a certain level we all believe that you know that we want to save human lives and care for human lives but um ultimately i mean in our world and in this one the i mean the resources are finite to an extent so it's like I guess Thanos had a point, but, uh, <laughs> but that's the moral of the story. <laughs> so, not had a point. Maybe his main point wasn't correct, but he did sort of have a point. Uh, I mean, so, this sort of also reflects sort of what the same theme is also seen in the Lord of the Rings with the elves, right? Yeah. Um, and this is and, 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 and I mean both. I mean all these it, different fantasy. Oh, I mean, okay, go ahead. No, I was going to say, I think the Lord of the Rings sort of, uh, even in the Silmarillion, they don't let it, they don't show the full awfulness of no. it. And they sort of provide another place for the elves to go. So yes. it doesn't a, end up nearly as you yeah, know, think, as, as ugly. I think all these offers, Tolkien, um, Tolkien uh, Sapkowski, even George R. R. Martin, they're all playing on the same theme of imperialism, on the same actual historical process of imperialism, right? Right. Um, and and of course, Tolkien is a much more romanticized, beautiful, right. uh, and you, you can say uh, cleaned up v uh, vision of imperialism, in which men and elves eventually got along, and elves just say, "Yeah, okay, it's your world now. We're going to sail to another <laughs> continent." Whereas, uh, whereas the in in The Witcher and 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 in 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 The Song of Ice and Fire, it's very clear there is no other world. The man mankind is just going to take what used to be other people's and destroy the other people's yeah. and the yeah. other people's you either have to learn to live with mankind or you're doomed. But I would say, I don't know with the Witcher, I feel like it's, 
I mean, they're not. They're very similar concepts. With The Witcher, there's definitely more of an, an environmentalism yes. twinge to it, feel that, to it than, well, that, right, than that, Martin has, yeah. I think. Yeah, and that comes with sort of what the character of Geralt, right? Because he is yeah. someone who is who is part of this sort of almost part of this lost world. He sees sort of someone who's in between these two groups, the humans and the non-humans. Yeah, I mean, neither group comes off terribly well in here, I think. <laughs> you know, there's no, there's neither side you're rooting for because, I mean, the, the dryads are just kidnapping kids and brainwashing. The humans are going, well, we're going to come in because we don't, we don't honor you for the fuck we want. If you try to kill us, we'll... Yeah. Well, I mean, historically speaking, if you look at oh. sort of the, the tribes that... I mean, generally, the tribes that put up the fiercest resistance, I mean, whether that's in... I mean, you, you pick wherever, um, but um, tend to still have an identity now as opposed to the ones that tried to assimilate. They have been a lot more raced, I feel like, and generally speaking. I mean, I know that that's not not clean cut, but... I mean, I don't know if we want to really go into yeah. it in that much in depth in terms of the historical... Yeah, yeah. Right, right. Yeah. Uh, but like, there's there's the gen and, and regarding the dryads, there's this, it's it's I mean it comes very down to survival and and they yeah. make the point that when Geralt compared to when Geralt first visited, there were a lot less tents. Yeah. yeah, and I mean I think the opening is also very powerful where he's you know he's like okay so they like this kid had no idea what the arrow meant he didn't even know what direction he was running in yeah. you know and like they they killed him because they they don't care and like the idea that you know they used to be a lot more um they used to you know offer a lot of, a lot more warnings um about turning around and leaving brocolon but then you know i, I also and, and, i mean it's very moving in my opinion because you know he's like oh it doesn't matter if you're 70 it doesn't matter if you're six it doesn't matter you know like i'll, I'll whatever um but when Eithne, like, I don't agree with Eithne, but, you know, when her, because I, I, I really do think that, like, if you're going to exert aggression, you have to do that on the people who are actually being aggressive and not the people who yeah. wander into your territory accidentally, because um, it's not working anyway. Um, but, like, I think she, like, the idea that, like, the other side is pretending that there's a bargain, but not holding it up. Mm-hmm. And like, so she's like, why should we, why should we be beholden to that at all? And, and again, for her, it's a matter of survival. And like, she mm-hmm. claimed, like, she likes to claim that she's par- apart from this world. And she, but when you read, I mean, it's very obvious. Oh, yeah, she yeah, yeah. The lady doth protest way too much. Yeah. Yeah. So she knows exactly what's going on around her. She knows all the neighboring kings. She, she has all like all the up-to-date information. She's very much part of the world. She can't really be, really claim herself to be part. And Carol calls her out on that. Um, but on the other hand, how are they going to survive if they don't do something like this? They're already not, they're, they're already sort of pushed very much to the edge. Well, I mean, it's such a it isn't kind of neat idea of that. You know, they're a race that pretty much can't continue without humans. I mean, yeah. either they're stealing them and brainwashing them, or we're you know using you know Frixenet there as 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 breeding stock. You know, he's just the stud. <laughs> It's like they can't have their own kids, so what makes them, I mean, almost parasites in some way? Well, I mean, that's not unique. Like, that's the same system that the wizards and sorcerers work on. You know, nobody's born 
to a what you know like that's that's a theme that becomes pretty important that like you, you know Calanthe actually right. brings it up she's like why why don't you just make more witchers by like having children and he's like oh yeah. we can't do that it doesn't work that way but they're not a race in the way that, i mean you know the wizards and and the uh and the witchers aren't a race like these are or maybe are i mean are they a race or are they just humans at this no. point no but i don't think dryads really are a race either well, not really they kind of are i they, mean they're a specifically they're a magical people. They were here before humans. Right. Uh, and so, and the thing is, I, I think it's very interesting that it is a race that in which none of the population is uh, male, yet they are still able to uh, produce by essentially uh, breeding with basically almost any other humanoid race they can come across. And because, like they say, uh, like he tells them, um, uh, Frexinet. Uh, like any child that like the dryads have will be like a hundred percent dryad. Like they're not going to be like half human. They're going to be complete dryad, but the only other, like there are two ways in which they can have more dryads. One being that way, which is kind of the more, I guess, pure way where you're a hundred percent dryad or by kidnapping young girls and then kind of feeding them the waters of Brokolon. Yeah. And I think the the Brienne, the the the, the dryad who led Geralt into the forest, out of the forest, is very yeah. very interesting example of that. I mean, that she sort of remembered who she was, mm-hmm. and then had to, but at the very end, still denies that her past. Do you think that was a unique situation? I couldn't I couldn't tell if this was just as she's the one who broke through and remembered, you know, Geralt's help, or if it was a. They really all remember, but kind of don't their trauma or be better what I want. It could be a mix. I think yeah. I think it is like one of the reasons why they might be so keen on having Frexinet to give them more dryad children is because there's like a possible threat all the time of some of the human to dryad conversion kind of remembering who they were and kind of rejecting or like pushing aside uh, the possibilities. Um, yeah, I feel like the dryads would prefer it to just have their dryad children. And like they only steal the uh, young girls only as a, well, we're running low on dryads. We need more of us. So this kidnapping will have to do. But they are real dryads. I mean, they're not. Well, you know. Yeah, but I mean, at which point, I, I guess this is my own reading is that they are essentially uh, converted dryads. As I'm saying, like in terms natural. of in terms of like given being given like the responsibility of a dryad, it doesn't oh, yeah, they, seem they like they're like, oh, them. your skills are lesser or whatever. Like it yeah, seems they still like treat them as yeah dryads, but at the same time, I don't know. What do I know? <laughs> well, it's a it's a very interesting fine line between civilization and non civilization. And it's always, and this sort of, I guess, what makes the the allegory version for imperialism very useful here. And that a lot of the people, when you like think of people like Gandhi, um, in the way he's tried to fight against imperialism, but very much Gandhi was also himself very much a product of imperialism. His education was in South Africa, was very much comes from mm-hmm. comes from the fact that he he is living in a British Empire. Um, 
and a lot of it this idea that he developed over time i mean some of it came from hindu traditions etc he likes to claim but a lot of it came from what he learned in his university and, and for the course as a lawyer um so and so are people in india by the time we get to 1940s are they Indians are they British? And that's sort of always a very interesting question to ask, um, whether it's in historical fiction or not. Anyway, I think sorry. That, no, that's good. <laughs> I think that really speaks to how I, I don't know that, that that's something reading to this point that I've I've just been amazed by was how often I feel like this connects to the difficulties of answering all these questions in the real world. Um, and I and I like that this is a world where it's just as difficult. You know, there's there's no good answers because and, and maybe that speaks to where we are um, in 2020, um, which if the world makes it to 2021 or beyond and people listen to this years from now, you know what 2020 means, like where it feels like there's no good answers to anything like that, um, you know, that that whatever steps forward we take for the issues going on, what um, all are fraught with with a lot of side effects and. I, I like that about this universe. It, it makes it feel very authentic. There's also the idea of like expanded culpability, right? Like, so the dryads kill anyone who tries to come into Brogolan. And it, it, you know, the only reason they didn't kill Siri is because they didn't think she was human. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's pretty intense. And like Geralt basically who, who himself has, plenty of issues with being regarded as human and the way people regard him as non-human is the one who's like okay i will i will represent man in this equation that you're trying to make like it's fine it's my fault i will take it on for you and i i found that really really interesting and powerful to kind of imagine you know i don't know Geralt kind of standing in for that when he when he really doesn't in the real world um or in the the rest of the reality uh, that this takes place in um yeah in a way he kind of has to because no none of the humans well first of all are allowed into the forest they none of them the drives would trust any of these humans to enter the forest but on the other hand he Geralt's exactly exactly the type the kind of person who can sort of bridge that gap but the problem is, is that gap is way too wide for anybody to bridge at this point i kind of took it as like he just generally tries to de-escalate things wherever he can mm. and that that was why you know that was why he was kind of speaking to her options and how to you know how to prevent her committing more violence right but like what's his what's his role you know like what where are his responsibilities in this you know equation he isn't he isn't human by a lot of humans he's treated terribly and like a magical abomination and mutant and all that stuff um, which is something that, you know, he was dealing with in in the previous chapter that like he couldn't even imagine that Essie would want to treat him like a normal object of affection, um, you know. But at the same time, he's not he is magical enough to, I guess, survive in Brokilon and be tolerated by the Dryads. But like technically part of his responsibility is to the Dryads, like he as as a professional, you know, it's like he is he is like he's making a line where he doesn't he doesn't fight. He doesn't kill dryads, you know, like theoretically they are magical, I guess. So they could fall under the category of like, please exterminate the dryads for us, you know, just like you did this other creature. Um, and that's a very clear line that he, you know, again, with Essie, he talks about like, he's, you know, my code just tells me what to do. Um, 
And I was like, oh, you're pretending you don't have all the feels. You do. Um, but I, I don't know. I find it really interesting that he's just in this. He's, he's in two worlds at once. And each world kind of uses him for the um, for its own purposes, you know. And, and I don't like I I don't think Ithne would think of herself that way, but I do think it's very similar. I I, I think she is taking advantage of Geralt's willingness to um, to stand in for humanity um, and and making and and pivoting her actions around that because ultimately I think she's very disappointed in the in the way this all turns out that she can't take Siri and that like human human, the destiny of humans becomes primary, right? Like that's, that becomes more important than her goals for Brokolon. Um, and yeah, I don't know. I, I, I find that whole combination of circumstances and Geralt's kind of in between worlds, a really interesting, a really interesting idea. Also Siri. <laughs> yeah. I was about to say that same thing. So, I mean, she, I mean, she sort of steals the show in a lot of ways, this little... Definitely. Yeah. And what is she, six in this or five? Something like that. And she just... I think she's supposed to be like nine. Yeah, right. she's ten. I think she's nine, ten. Oh, okay. She's six in the previous chapter. Okay. And she... And, I mean, not the previous chapter, the next chapter in the flashback. Oh, okay. That's right. I mean, she just is fiery and has so much, I mean, so much agency of her own and just this... In, this fantastic entitlement that i'm assuming she's gonna lose pretty quick but that is kind of kind of cute coming from a kid that age to just think she's in charge of the world and and um you know then of course just get kind of gets outwitted by <laughs> by girl a couple times but it's just a i don't know just a, a great character i don't know that i i don't know that i have anything too deep to say about it other than it's awesome She's great. You'll see a lot more from her. Yeah. Oh, yeah. As in, like, she's she's basically the main one. Yeah. She is the main character going for going forward. Um, Constantly being like, my grandmama. Yeah. <laughs> will, like, <laughs> have your head chopped off or something. I mean, she's definitely, at this point, very spoiled. She's a princess. Um, she acts like one. Um, but on the other hand, she is someone who's not afraid to get herself dirty. She just, she seems... She's got the spunk that we like from characters. She's also like cute and adorable and mm-hmm. and sweet. You know, at, at, as you know, she hasn't yet been uh, ruined by the evils and horrors of the world, which obviously is coming. <laughs> so there's a very know, ar- there's a very Arya like quality to her. Right, it's very very sweet at this point. We love her. That does make sense. That actually fits. Completely. We think of Arya thinning, right? And then, what happens to her? Let's. I hope she doesn't have as tragic a life, but I have a feeling she's going to. <laughs> uh, um, well, I mean, I think also I, what what I really appreciate about this is like she's annoying and obnoxious, and like I I love her and I think she's adorable, but like she's not written as you know a a total sweetheart. You know, yeah. Like, yeah. She, like Gerald is like I'm literally gonna whip your ass if you say one more thing. <laughs> right. He calls her a brat a lot of the time. Yeah. Which well, she is. I mean, you know, I don't know how normal a child is like, I'm going to have your head cut off and then like sticks to that. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, but I, I don't know. I love, I love the protectiveness that comes, you know, that comes with, you know, meeting somebody who is, you know, Geralt's never interacted with a child before yeah. and in, in, in what we've seen of him. And like, it's so on the on like it's 
both so normal and so obviously like destiny and 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 weird and like their their comfort with each other seems to be partly you know the 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 fact that destiny is at play there and they are supposed to meet and and be together in some way um but i i don't know i i find it so like endearingly human and just you know i mean it's it's the it's the most likable we've seen of Geralt, you know. I mean, yes, there's his like love for Yennefer and all that that's sweet too. But but I mean, this is kind of like you know, up until now you'd wonder like, would you be friends with him? Would you want to? But this part of him you like really like, you know. The two of them seem better together than separate. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think going forward, he sh- like their relationship really really makes like really makes. The story is much more interesting than what was before, part because of that, because Geralt absolutely needed someone like Siri, like Yennefer, right. like his relationship with Yennefer is important. Um, the chapters without Yennefer noticeably do suffer without her presence. Um, but like Siri adds such an important dimension to their to to this character um, and to the story as a whole. And I love the idea that it just comes as such a surprise, you mm-hmm. know, like I think it's it's he's not um i don't know like he's he, you know i i feel like destiny knows what it's doing in the idea yeah. that like gerald and we see in the next thing like he he actually isn't interested in like following this particular path and being like oh i have a bond with this child like whether or not i want to make it a witcher like I, I can i can take advantage of that um and like i think it was it was smart of destiny to be like we're not really going to give you a choice before you develop like feelings of bonding toward Siri and she develops them toward you, you know, like Siri actually has so much more information in this situation than he does, even though she doesn't like put it all together immediately. But I, I think yeah. that's a really interesting way. And the fact that he like fucks off at the end and she yeah. is like, this, this is clearly the wrong thing to do. Hello. <laughs> um, is, is very, very powerful to me. Yeah. Yeah. Although Destiny will have a little say in that coming up soon. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. Destiny's like, well, I guess I can just destroy all of Sintra. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> Fine. You won't go with her. <laughs> you won't go with him. Then we'll make you. But yeah, no, I I love how it took both characters a long a, a while to figure out exactly who the other is. <laughs> that it basically took uh took I mean it took Geralt basically the entire story to finally figure out. Oh wait a minute. I remember now, Dooney and Dooney and, and Pavetta, um, and and I do like the fact that that Siri actually actually re- realizes this before he does. Um, yeah, yeah. I feel. I mean, without show spoiling too much, I I just caught up on the show and watched to the end and got this I part. Gonna, and, I wasn't going to say anything about that. <laughs> all I was going to say is I thought it was interesting that they did it different. Their yeah. meeting is very different, and I like it. You know, a lot of the things they did better in the show, but I think this works better for their their getting yeah. together and why and how. I, I like this a lot more. I Like, when I was watching the show, I was like, why even care? And in this, now I was like, oh, that's so I, sweet. And here I'm like, oh, this is so sweet. I love it. <laughs> this is this is the thing that annoyed me in the show, that this chapter was adapted the way it was. I'll just put it that way. Barely. Yeah. Barely. <laughs> yeah, I think it is very... Um... I don't know. I, I mean, Siri, they had no idea what they were doing with her in the show. I think, and right. yeah, it showed a, a lot. Um, I, yeah, I just, I think, I mean, I, I love the last moments of the show where they, 
where they come together and like, I, you know, as they do in the, in the next chapter. But I, I felt like, well, no, I didn't feel like, because I hadn't read the books at that point, but I feel looking back, like there is a value in, <clears throat> in the, um, I don't know, in like the, the accidentalness of it and the, and the, something that neither of them were, were expecting right. and, right. And and already like already you see like this this has huge consequences. Siri gets three people killed, you know, because mm-hmm. she is running away from this yeah. uh, situation, um, which you know is is worth talking about when you know we have like Geralt being like, oh, I'm the sword of destiny, and the other edge is death, and like it's mm-hmm. like, and you have Siri there who has already and spoilers will cause a lot of a lot of tragedy and stuff that follows follows her around. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, um, the and the, we haven't even gotten into her the magical nature of Siri yet. The the, the fact the, that she that she not only inherited her mother's powers, but seemingly is even greater than that. <laughs> Perhaps due to Geralt's involvement. Well, we won't know that for a while because we're not there yet. <laughs> well, well, we know we know, we know this right now because like the the the, the water oh, that's that's absolutely true. nothing to her. Like Geralt, he he has to go through like many many years of Witcher training to be, to not be able to fall under the the, the spell. True. She the, the, that thing just did absolutely to get to to Siri, and that's that's important to keep in mind. So I'm trying to I'm trying to find the definition in French precisely of the word. Uh, so it's it's providence. I don't know if that exists. Providence. I don't even know. Uh, but it's not it's not destiny um and we have a word for destiny i guess in french and it's another one and so i'm wondering why why uh, they chose this one and from right i can read providence is more it has a religious uh it's like ordained by a yeah. higher power yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Um, and i don't know if if it, it has uh that's, if it's important here that's um, an interesting translation yeah, I mean yeah. that's that's I mean to my understanding of how destiny is used in the book, that's probably a better translation in ink. Like if they use providence instead of destiny. Yeah, because it's not it's not um, something that's doomed to happen or like fatality. You know, it's mm. um, it, it's more like there's there's something bigger at play. Yeah. Yeah. That's kind of how they treat destiny, almost as like a godlike figure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm, yeah, a little bit. Yeah, I, I mean, I think of like providence as like divine, pro- like specifically connected to gods. like a godly gods. figure. Yeah. yeah. Whereas destiny is kind of like secular. More vague. Yeah. yeah sure. Um, and and maybe this part that came into part of that part came into the translation that they didn't want that religious overtone. Although, as Paul noted, it, there there is sort of a almost pseudo religious dimension to this. Yeah. Oh yeah. Providence is maybe more like implies there's a puppet master and then mm-hmm. when you say destiny it's almost sort of like when people talk about throw something out to the universe and see what the universe throws back right you know i will say thing. like even the, for all the talk of the de- of the word destiny in the books there's a lot more about sort of overcoming destiny as well and that this is not just about destiny and we, we can talk more about that once we get into the next chapter though yep. mm-hmm. speaking of which i feel like we're yeah. anyone have any final thoughts on Sword of Destiny, or shall we jump oh, well, to something? Actually, oh, I did, I did want oh. to ask Marie something, because in the English translation, um, whenever Siri says the word awfully, 
like, you know, I was awfully cold. She says offy. So A W F F Y. So I don't know if, if they if they put in another. Let me check. <laughs> Let me check. Yeah, I didn't like it. Didn't uh, I? I I didn't notice it specifically, but maybe, and I just forgot. Uh, I'll check. See if they put in her uh, uh, speech impediments. <laughs> <laughs> Which also another shout out to Peter Kenny, the narrator of the audiobooks, because so good. he not only does a nine-year-old girl in this chapter. He does a nine-year-old girl with a Scottish accent with a cold. So, <laughs> so no. Has, he has range. Him, have you sent him to George? For, I mean, uh, seriously. I mean, it happens to be like, I, I don't think men should do women's voices. I think you can have another female narrator in there who <laughs> pops in and does the women's voices. <clears throat> then they'd have to pay two people. <laughs> yeah, I know. I know, I know. But, like but he still does I think it would be good. worth it. But, um, yeah, I think that... Um, he does. He does a really good job as far as you know, doing his best to um, demasculate. <laughs> so. hey. And he's. I mean, he's just really good. Like I'm reading. I'm re- This is the first time I'm reading it in like text, and like I. I can't not hear the way he talks about it. And like yeah, all Siri my. just has a Scottish are, accent for me now. Yeah, <laughs> have a Scottish accent. All right. But like I'm also, you know, he he pronounces like um Gwen like Geralt's. Oh. Gwynblade. Whatever. Gwyn, yeah, so for him it's Gwyn Blythe because yeah. it's double D. So for me it's just now it's Gwyn Blythe. Well, it is Welsh. Yeah. Yeah. The elder, the elder language has a lot of Welsh in it. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. I guess one thing that's worth noting is that, like, we do get Geralt's uh, infertility here yeah. um, in terms Yay. of, like, well, I mean, in terms of, you know, like, uh, Ithne's daughter and. Yeah. That being part of the reason why she has a grudge against him, even though, like, that's objectively not his fault. <laughs> but I guess I it's really the sad. other way around. You yeah. get like, mad you... that someone did get your daughter pregnant. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, very quickly, uh, the daughter, the story of, of uh, Agni's daughter, this is not in the, 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 the Netflix TV the TV, the Netflix TV show, but in the Polish Witcher TV show, they actually show the whole story. Oh. Of, uh, of oh, the, the hexer, the hexer, yes, uh, of uh, Evni's daughter uh, Moren and Gerald's dalliance. <laughs> Don't watch that show; it's show is very bad, but. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I did sorry, Michal. He when disavowed you, it, didn't he? About... I think so. <laughs> maybe, yeah. Um, Michal, were you asking about how uh, Siri talks, or how about Brienne? Talks? Yeah, Siri. Okay. No, I don't think there's anything really like she 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 has the cold, but it's not it's not specific. Yeah, it's not, there's no weird words. I don't think so. Interesting. But yeah, <laughs> I'm not sure. Um, you know, but Brienne speaks with a kind of like um old French editions uh, like mm-hmm. um. S's in words where they disappeared uh, uh, in our time. Yeah. So just uh, a way to translate. Yeah. <laughs> it's very interesting to me, the, all, the, all the translations. Because I, I, like, I'm reading it and I'm like, I know I'm missing stuff. I know. I, I know I'm missing stuff. <laughs> well, welcome to, uh, welcome to my world. Yeah. Um, <laughs> It's actually yeah. it's something that I'm I'm kind of sad about because um um so now I read fantasy more and more in English um 
in, I mean, when it's the original language and there's a lot of fantasy in English. Um, and it's great and I'm, I'm like really happy to, to read it uh, in English. But I'm also kind of sad because it means I very, very rarely uh, read in French anymore. And um, like it's kind of sad because I love reading in French and these books I've um, mostly discovered first in French. Like just um, A Song of Ice and Fire, I've read it first in French and it's, I know I'm never going to read it again in French. And I feel like I'm, I'm losing something too. Uh, so it's just, yeah, you got to make a choice. Yeah. I remember having to read uh, English original novels in Chinese. <laughs> Um, the, first, the first Harry Potter book was, I think, the first, the, the biggest one that comes to my mind. And the, yeah, the Harry Potter. Weird, yeah. The weird, I'm never gonna read yeah. them in, in English. I think, uh, mm. like, I think it's it's much more authentic in English, and it has this British feel that it doesn't necessarily yeah. have in, in French. But right. they're my childhood books, and I I know them almost by heart in French by this point. So it would be, I don't know, like just two difference anyway translation <laughs> the worst but the best yeah that's interesting if only we could all just speak all the languages <laughs> only we had a babble fish i was just gonna say that <laughs> <laughs> if we had a tortoise uh, all right well um now we seem to be getting further into digression sorry that's what vak is for <laughs> No, as, I, as I the king of digressions. I say is important to talk about. So. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> sure. Um, are we ready to roll into something more? And that something, something more is more. something more. Sorry. All right. This <laughs> Okay. So uh, our story begins with the merchant Yurga, which uh, spelled out looks a lot like Yuruga slightly, which I would <laughs> I have gotten so mixed up sometimes. I'm like, yes. why is he talking to a river? Anyway. <laughs> yes. Uh, who he is uh, moving along a crumbling bridge, uh, and you know bridges are home to monsters. So uh, he and he uh, comes across a uh, another horseman uh, who is Geralt of Rivia. They talk about the merchant's predicament, and Geralt remarks that the wagon is uh, too big because uh, the wagon he's pulling gets stuck on the bridge, and this bridge is famous for having monsters come out at night. Uh, so Geralt comes along and says, you know, I will, we can't pull it out, uh, but I can, pr uh, you should probably abandon it, but uh, if you want, I could just at least uh, protect you because uh, you, well, actually, he doesn't say that yet because he's like, oh, you should abandon the cart. Yurga says he can't because this is basically his entire year's uh, profit. And so, uh, uh, and so he says, you know, I'll give you anything if you kind of help me protect my cart. Uh, that's the law of surprise. And Geralt's like, you know what? I'm in. We need more witchers. Uh, he then uh, manages to kill off the uh, monsters that are attacking. Uh, and then his injured body is put into the cart by Yurga and some of his servants who've kind of come back after running away. He then begins to... Uh, fade in and out of consciousness in which he is remembering different times as Yurga is taking him back to his house or to at least get him a healer. Uh, his first dream is about Yennefer and their last meeting during the Bellatane uh, holiday. Uh, as they are crossing another river, Yurga explains how they are now out of Tamaria and are now in Sodden. Uh, 
the Witcher asks the merchant to hand him one of his potions. He takes it and then he slips back into unconsciousness. He then dreams of when he went to Sintra to claim his child surprise, who was Siri, uh, hoping to talk to Dooney and Pavetta. Uh, Geralt arrives, assuming it's a boy, and he asks Mausak which of the uh, kids playing outside is the one. Uh, but the druid tells him, you know, he can't tell him because Calanthe has basically said he is forbidden from revealing to Geralt, which is the child surprise. Uh, the druid also reveals that um, uh, originally he was hired on by Calanthe to kill the Witcher should he ever come back. Uh, but essentially, but eventually Calanthe just kind of canceled it because it took so long for Geralt to show up and because she might have conflicting interests. Um, Geralt and Calanthe meet and have a long discussion in which he tells the queen that he has no real intention of taking Pavetta and Dooney's son. Uh, and they also discuss witchers and trials as well as how Geralt became a witcher himself. Um, here we get told that Mausak assertions that Geralt was a child of surprise are just stories that Geralt was abandoned to the witchers by his mother a sorceress uh, the uh, next uh, Geralt kind of wakes up uh, and finds himself being treated by his mother uh, the sorceress Vicenna uh, he wondered he kind of wondered whether or not he would ever cross paths with her uh, and just very cold to her because you know what are you going to do when the mom who abandoned you is tending your wounds? Uh, however, as much as he wants to get away from her, the son tells him to rest, and uh, he won't uh, essentially want to talk to her once he's awake again. Uh, she dismisses the idea of uh, him doing anything, what he plans for it to change anything, and uh, she says goodbye and he tries to resist the goodbye, but her uh, soothing magic kind of puts him to sleep again. Uh, in the next scene, Geralt is conscious again, and he is riding with Yurga, and they talk about the second battle of Sodden, um, as well as uh, Yurga telling her, him that uh, his mother isn't necessarily a bad person, as she is a very famous healer, and in that, uh, she, unlike other sorcerers, she's much more concerned with helping people than actually being a sorcerer, which is just a very uh, presumptive title that a lot of them take. Um, Yurga mentions that the number of the fall, uh, as they approach the uh, location of the battle of the second battle of Sodden, which is uh, when Nilfgaard attempted to uh, invade the north after conquering Sintra, they were pushed back by uh, a alliance of the northern kings as well as the conclave of mages. Uh, there's a large um, uh, monolith set up for the names with the names of the fallen mages on it, and uh, as Yurga is kind of ruminating on what the names are. Uh, Geralt makes him stop to uh, climb Sodden Hill and read the names that are on the obelisk. Uh, reading from top down, he reminisces about some of the mages he knew that died. Uh, and as he is re uh, reaching uh, the bottom of the list, uh, a blonde-haired lady passes by radiating cold. Uh, she kneels down front of the obelisk, covering so that the last... Uh, covering the last name of the final mage, who he is worried might be Yennefer. Uh, she describes herself as death, and she uh, they have a little conversation. 
he states that she's taken all from him, but she interrupts him saying she doesn't take anything but hands to hold and accompany those alone in a mist, which is what everything around fades to. Uh, eventually, Geralt wakes up uh, on the hill, having possibly dreamed this entire thing or being put to sleep again by magical means. Uh, Yurga then reveals that the last name on the monolith is not Yennefer, but in fact, uh, just another mage. Uh, eventually, they do arrive in Sodden, uh, where Yurga lives. Uh, he and his wife are well past their childbearing years, so he was fairly, he's fairly certain that a new family member is not what he will be giving Geralt. Uh, however, he does say that he does have two strong, bright sons, and he would be all right with one of them becoming a witcher, uh, because he says it wouldn't be that bad. Um, he said Geralt refuses, though, saying that Yurga taking care of him and tending to him when he could have just left him for dead uh, has been enough. Um, uh, Yurga insists, but uh, Geralt refuses to take any payment. Uh, he then decides to start heading back to Sintra to claim the child's surprise after having all these magical uh, encounters and talking with his mother. Uh, but coming across the river Yuruga, he comes across a large group of refugees f fleeing uh, the invasion. Um, uh, oh, sorry, Sintra hasn't been conquered yet. I don't know why it said. I'm looking at the wiki. It said the second battle of Sodden. It might be the. It should be the first battle of Sodden. Um, and uh, Geralt spies Dandelion among the refugees because, of course, he does. Because Dandel, where else would Dandelion be other than the thick of it? Uh, Dandelion is like, let's get the fuck out of here. But Geralt's like, no, we need to make for Sintra. Uh, but Dandelion reveals that Sintra has been completely sacked. Calanthe is dead and most likely Ciri is too. Uh, since the, uh, crossing point they're at at the river is now being kind of closed off for military personnel only. They try to find a new way around. Uh, they, uh, decide to head back to Yurga, warn him and also possibly see if he knows of another way across the river uh yurga is um oh wait did they arrive yet no i don't think they arrived back yet but uh yurga is still traveling with them they arrive at yurga's house and uh his wife kind of comes up saying that surprise they have an extra child it's siri who escaped the uh the sack of sintra was taken care of some dru uh, taken care of by some druids who were seen to uh, some of the war children and was then adopted by Yurga's uh, wife and so yay Siri shows up recognizing Geralt from before runs to meet him and says it's just like they predicted Geralt like they predicted I'm your destiny say it I'm your destiny in reply Geralt says you're more than that Siri much more and that's where the story ends okay. I was completely lost on the chronology at the very end, like the yeah. very last, um, when he meets uh, Dandelion, that's flashback, that's, right? That's also a flashback, yeah. It's right, a very, but it's, I didn't it's, catch it's really, that. It's really unclear, like there's no so, separation, and, and then he's back with uh, the, the merchant, and you're like, how did that happen? Oh, yeah. yes, yes, So. I I don't know how it is like in the, ver the the versions of books you guys have. Uh, usually, so in, in the one that I'm, edition I'm reading, um, when they usually break off with the flashbacks, they sort of has this weird break in the page in which basically sort of starts in sort of a new paragraph except with a bunch of tabs uh, to show you I'm writing the e-book and I don't have that. 
<laughs> yeah. So yeah, right. So so the book I'm reading right now, which is sort of I don't know what edition this is. This is from Orion Books, with the the really pretty full character covers, original art covers. Um, the, what they do is basically they whenever there's a there's a flashback, there's a long break, like they just like several sentences, several blank like paragraph breaks, and then mm-hmm. sort of the new paragraph starts or like almost mid sentence, in a very funny format. So I, I, yeah, no, I don't have. Yeah, yeah. I mean, in, for the other for the other um, flashbacks, you got you get like his um, talking with with Yoga, and then then there's a like, and he felt himself go, and then you have the the new scene, so you can understand that that sure. there's a break, and and but here just nothing. Um, but I've read it uh, <laughs> quite quickly because I <laughs> I was late. Um, but yeah, it was uh, confusing. Right. But um, I think uh, if we if we want to compare that with maybe some of the of the previous chapters where or, or stories where there were uh, confusing things about the chronology, um, it's it's better. I think like it is confusing, but you you have the 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 like you still understand what's going on, and um, the flashbacks are very compelling. Um, and you can, you have something to hold on to, which is, I mean, I don't really know what he does differently in the writing, but I think it was um, just, yeah, better and more uh, like the right amount of confusing. Yeah. Yeah, I think the craft really shows through here. Yeah. Um, I was wondering if people have an interpretation on what the something more is. Um, I just took it to mean that that he had something more that Yurga had something more at home when he got there. There was another... oh no, I mean, I mean like when uh, when Geralt and Yennefer and they're all like, you know, destiny isn't enough. There has to be something more. Oh, gotcha. Yeah, because I think it's love. Yeah. Something like that. Human connection. Yeah. Um, because ultimately, what brings Geralt and Ciri together is not just destiny. And this is and this is part where I am sort of annoyed by how the TV show did this. But what brought them together is because yeah. of that human connection yeah. they made already years already like years ago because they liked each other and they want to be with each other by this point. And which is why ultimately it's not it's not like destiny that 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 Gerald was sort of refuting destiny by not taking uh, Siri the first time or the second time. Um. The, and, and that that the Gerald like Gerald killed Kalanfi or anything like that. It's just ultimately by this time Gerald finally became honest with his feelings that he wants to meet with Siri, and maybe fate played a hand in in allowing them to to meet again or something like that. But what really brought them together is the fact that Gerald wants to see Siri. I just hope fate didn't destroy a whole city just to make that happen. <laughs> <laughs> Spoilers. Kind of did. <laughs> well, to be fair, Nilfgaard destroyed the city. Yeah, right, right. And and, and there's to yeah, say there's reasons to reduce that simply as fate is is sort of denying a lot of culpability, especially in the in the hands of Nilfgaard and its ruler. Yeah. Well, there's also you know I mean I I I, I think it's very powerful how like um, the idea that the pol- politics are ramping up. Like yeah. beyond a level that anybody has seen or is prepared for. Um, I mean, like Dandelion, I, you only really get this when you when you read the whole series or, or more of the books in the future. But like, you know, he throws away Geralt's like you have to throw away your poems, <laughs> and he oh, does. 
and which I was like, surprised he did. Yeah, actually. later later Dandelion would never do that, and I think it it is an indication of how terrified he is. Yes, and, yeah. that that's what made me go like, "Ooh, this is serious." <laughs> it's like, yeah, wow, he really did that. Um, but I, I also I love I love Yurga. Like I love that he's you know you meet initially like what he's like. I'd be fine if the guy wanted to sleep with my wife. I'm like, I don't like you. But then he turns out to be a pretty nice guy. Yeah. You know, on the subject of flashbacks and what was, what wasn't, like, you know, it's hard to tell what was going on when and what was a flashback. Was I assume that the, the mother coming to heal him really did happen? Yeah. Unless, unless you think it's his hallucination. Well, that's what I was wondering is because because in the show it is, I believe it seems to be. So so I'm tr- I, at least it seemed to me on the show that it because somebody all, we don't see her heal him. So we don't even know that. I mean, in the show, gloss over. <laughs> uh, there was somebody there was definitely somebody healed him. What are what do you think about sort of the conversation that they used to Vizena and um, Garrett actually had? I think that's a little bit open to interpretation, but I think most people agree that, yeah, that's that's her. Right. Yeah, I, I don't. I do think it's her. Um, this is maybe the part of the story that gets a little too lacrimose for me. Um, uh, you know, I, I, mommy, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> yeah. um, but then again, you know, a lot of this is about like me. I think I think this final story is very much Zabkowski laying his cards on the table and being like, mm, Geralt, you're not imagining it. Geralt is soft. Yeah. <laughs> Geralt is a soft boy. And like, this is important to know as we go forward. Um, I mean, this and, is one of the few stories where he doesn't kill anyone or doesn't fight at all, really. Oh, he, I mean, okay, so he has that one at the beginning. He cut him under Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. So I think, I don't know. It's, it's, uh... Really? Because I feel like in every one of these short stories, it starts off with a, here, let me be a witcher for a moment. And then the whole rest of the story has been like, he doesn't. <laughs> he doesn't fight. He doesn't do the, you know, monster of the week bit for, for at least many of the later ones. Not, not the very, very first couple, but... Like, in fact, we talked about that in the last episode, how, like, in Witcher, you know, other than the very beginning of each story. Yeah, yeah. I guess, um, I think it's the, the um, bringing back up his past is very important go- narratively yeah. going forward, because, um, I mean, I think this is also the first time he really mentions where he grew, the, the who really trained him, right? right? Uh, Vesemir. Did, did he mention Vesemir before the story? I think so. I, I recognize the name like when I did. saw it. I feel like he did, yeah. Yeah, but, I, I I feel like he he didn't mention it, but um, okay. not in a not not in in depth and yeah. not uh, just like in passing. Like that's something everyone knows, including the reader, and it it's just there. Yeah, I mean, this is the first time you really see like their relationship, his relationship with Vesemir. Yeah. He's basically Vesemir is basically his real dad. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's interesting how this story basically, you know. It's weird that it's, we're in a series of short stories, and this short story is almost a series of short stories, you know, because there's, yeah. there's all these little episodes that are completely unrelated but aren't, and we've got basically where, I mean, he's clearly, like, this is setting the chessboard for the, for, for the series. Even having not read it, I can tell that we're, we're putting all the people in place and making sure we know where we are with the world, and, and then finally we have Siri and Geralt getting together for good for the f- foreseeable future. Yeah. Well, and it's almost like it's a like it's a here's everywhere he's been like sort of a, a yeah. quick look of here is Geralt's past, and then right. he's about to meet his future. Yeah, yeah. This is a very very pivotal chapter right. uh, 
it it transitions into the the actual novel, the plot plot part. Because after this is just plot, there's going to be a lot of continuous plot, um, and you better remember these characters. Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. This is. There, there's definitely like it's a great story and it's enjoyable, but I'd say there's less maybe big themes to it than the other two in this. Like kind of like there definitely are character themes and like mo- great moments but the, to me it's less dense in terms of like it's a political more, statements or anything like that well um i think this is a first of all very personal story about yeah. Geralt himself yeah. but also it's very again it's about it's this is more much of what's setting up the plot yeah um i also you, i mean i think that I, I agree i think this this story is much more about like it, it really isn't about leadership it really isn't about you know dukes and kings and i mean we do have a very long <laughs> conversation with calanthe but that's actually really not about about queenship or or rulership it's more it, it is personal right it's about her grandchild um and obviously she's she's playing kind of a joke on Geralt that he doesn't get until much later yeah but, um, um and yeah really fun that he completely just assumes like this is going to be a child of destiny for me ergo it's going to be a boy it's gotta it's be a, a boy yeah Hello. um but but yennefer's thing yennefer's like um dialogue that or or monologue i guess that she taught that she says about beltane about like them you know re- about humans celebrating the regeneration of life and like we're just sitting here like continually the same and 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 unable to contribute to that cycle at all um and be part of it i thought was very moving mm-hmm. um because i think it is it is about i don't know this whole this whole book i think Geralt has kind of been inching toward that kind of like existential despair that yennefer kind of um puts words to in this right mm-hmm. um in this section and i think siri comes in just at the right time to like rescue him from that um, because he's so devastated, like he's so, uh, you know, of course, Simkowski never, never puts us in his head and he actually does this multiple times. Um, when, when Geralt finds out bad news, um, he, we exclusively see it. It's honestly, sometimes it's rarely even described. It's just like, what's wrong, Geralt? <laughs> you know? And then he's like, nothing. And you're kind of left to fill in the, the devastation that's like left in his mind. Um, so I think. I think it's actually really fitting that as we are about to go into something super political and complicated and I mean, there's so many different um, like angles and elements and characters and conflicts and like the, it's literally endless how much there is to consider politically in, in the next, in the coming books. And I really like that we just kind of have this moment to mostly just deal with these people as people and their, their connections as people, because I think, Honestly, this is one of my favorite Geralt and Yennefer scenes. It's not my, it's not the ultimate ultimate favorite. That comes in a couple of books, but like they they have just such a nice meeting, you know, and they don't leave on sad terms, and they or they do leave on sad terms, but they aren't angry at each other, which is kind of new. Um, <laughs> and they they just you know I don't know they uh, like when he says to her like oh it never ended like the, the she's like it's gonna start again he's like it never ended I, I find that. Right. Right. really really sweet and ah, I, I, I just really like the human parts of the story so much yeah, well, I mean it's so clear that to him this is an ongoing relationship that he's in and to her it's <clears throat> excuse me and to her it's 
well, I don't, I, I keep getting drawn to you, but I don't want to be, you know, and I, and I'm sure, you know, having found out that their fate is not to be together and probably didn't help that. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, but that doesn't even like, you know, they, they're kind of grappling with that too, right? Like, what does it mean? What does it mean? Nothing will come of it. You know, that, that isn't something with a clear definition. Uh, it's just very sad. And then it ends with like a, you know, I mean, what happens to Calanthe is like horrible, you know, and, yeah. and, yeah. Presumably all the people that we met in Sintra, you know, forget, forget Dooney and Favetta, like what she says about like, how can you not believe in destiny when they, when they died together? Um, <laughs> something mm. weird. <laughs> mm. <clears throat> um, yeah. Something strange there. <laughs> Stay tuned. Um, but um, I forgot what I was going to say, cause I think so much about Dooney and Favetta. <laughs> just mentally went down a completely different path. Right. I think, um, the what happened to Sintra is um, it sets up a very it, that in itself is such a very important theme um, going forward um, because Nelfgaard is like Nelfgaard is sort of set up as this huge boogeyman um, and yeah we get we get the the bad like villain and mm-hmm. some like a consistent villain maybe yeah. at least for a time which we haven't uh, we don't get that in the, in the other stories it's one times. Well, it's interesting uh, with Nelfgaard. <laughs> um, we do get consistent villains. They are associated with Nelfgaard. But what Nelfgaard itself comes to be, comes to stand for, also we'll, becomes we'll more complicated. Yeah. For some of us. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh, one other thing I thought was interesting was the whole, uh, the whole bit about Yennefer, the last of the wizards who died, but it, but it wasn't. So, is that meant to be him flashing into the future, or just his own fears? I think that's sort of exposing his own like, insecurities. I mean, obviously, fears. he knows that they're not destined to be together. Maybe that's why, in his mind, he's going to see her dead. Or I really believed it. I like, like, like at least at least a, a, lo- a big part of me believed it. And I was like, what? No, <laughs> and 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 then I realized this was stupid because I I know from you guys that she shows up later. Uh, I think that that among the names, I think two names to remember are Tris Marigold and mm-hmm. Lita Nade or Coral, because mm-hmm. those two will actually show up. Those two names will show up in the future amongst that list. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I you know another thing I found kind of interesting in terms of the way people view kind of life and its cycle in this in this series is that when Yurga is like oh well you know it, it wouldn't have been a big deal if like like okay well soldiers die okay well people die you know but but the mages could have lived forever and they gave up that life to to save us and to me that's like the opposite you know I'm like well how long have they already lived all right move on <laughs> like you, know, you can't let the normal people have like a you know a regular lifespan um and that I, I think it is indicative of just like there are people in this in this world who have rights and that are you know conveyed by either their abilities or society's view of their abilities or whatever that other that normal people don't have and you have people like Geralt and Siri who get really stuck between those two things and uh, yeah a lot kind of comes out of that and like how do you feel I've had this realization recently by uh, re-watching The Lord of the Rings and the way I feel about elves dying is not the same as the way I feel about uh, humans dying and um, because it feels like like this immense life is lost and 
it it's feel, it feels bigger and sadder just than than um, men dying, which is like obviously already sad. But I feel in 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 this it's a bit of the same idea, and the sacrifice is bigger, and then so so it's it's um, it's more notable. I don't know, but I agree. Like when you think about it deeply, it's like well, they they don't have any more rights to. I mean, it's it's the normal people have just as much uh, life uh, to live actually from their point of view, and so it's yeah, it's a it's a bit weird how we in or at least I uh, feel about this and how it it's different from when I think rationally about it. Well, that's um, I can't remember if it's in the Silmarillion or um, the not the proper novels for Lord of the Rings, but. There's a line where an elf is, and I don't, I don't remember any details around it. I just remember the line of how elves are amazed that humans are willing to give their lives when they have so little life to give, um, when their lives are so short already. But I guess it's just sort of a perspective thing that you know, if you have centuries to live, then you have a long portion of your life where you feel like you're in the prime and you feel like you have a lot to lose, as opposed to you know, if you, I don't know, if you, yeah. if you maybe only have 70 or 80 years. Mm-hmm. Yep. Weird to talk about. We don't know anyone who's hundreds of years old. <laughs> or do you? That's true. <laughs> you know, what's that, what's that book that a lot of elementary schools read, uh, Tuck Everlasting, where it's like the, you yeah. don't know what I'm talking about, it's like the family that is eternal and they have to like uproot and go live other places every couple decades. Right. I'm I'm very impressed with myself that I remember the name of that book. <laughs> I probably a, I probably a one in one in a hundred chance. Uh, yeah. Okay. Okay. Well, and, any other thoughts overall or on something more? No. This is we've covered it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. I just think the end the end is so pure. You know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. It's like great. A, it's like that childish almost that Siri hangs on to this idea of like destiny, destiny, destiny. And he's like. That's almost irrelevant. Like, yes, that's why we're here, but like, it's it's more than that, and it's yeah. it's like the the real genuine bond between them. That like, I mean, Geralt is so different when he when he is he has the direction of Siri in his yeah. life, and it's just Dad Geralt. Dad Geralt is the best character. Dad Geralt yeah. is the right. best. Well, I mean, you know, he's been saying in all of these little short stories, he's, they are all, I mean, all the little sub-stories in this story, you know, it's all, oh, it's Destiny. He's going, no, 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 we need something more. We need something more. And and he found it. So mm-hmm. so it's both. It, and there is the Destiny, but we've got that little bit that pushes Destiny. This is more. And yeah. it, it's a kind of interesting idea that there are things more important. Yeah. I, li- I love that. Actually, because, fantasy. especially in a fantasy series. Mm-hmm. I mean, my thinking as well. It's just, it's something that, takes away from whatever is happening and the feelings of the, the characters and what happens to them when it's all about destiny. Whereas when you you can have both, like the interesting um, psychologic things uh, uh, that happen because they, they are being like led by destiny, but also, yeah, something more, something of um, free will and love and... Uh, genuine pure feelings that uh it, it takes it to another level 
I also like the fact that they actually after every and I notice you know Kowski does that a lot in these finds was the title of the story yeah. and all through this short story and every little interlude we had you know there was a there's got to be something more there's got to be something more but then when he says you're much I like that change <laughs> yeah little and subtle but I liked it I, I and I think it also um, it speaks to kind of the way he he writes because things build and like he 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 is kind of you know i think in this story pretty much every interaction is very powerful and and impactful in its own way but like i don't think that this story would be as powerful if we didn't have you know the three jastas story with the dragon you know which like i don't love but it's fine you know but but that that continual weight of things and like the you know, Geralt's Geralt's jacket keeps coming back that he got in <laughs> in the in the story with the shapeshifter. You know, yeah. Um, and I, I think that like, yeah. I mean, every, every time I'm a little bit like, oh my god, is this guy really a good writer? I don't know. And then something he does just kind of comes back and like really like smacks me. And it it usually has to do with other things that have led up to it. And I'm, I'm like, okay, yes, fine, you're a good writer. <laughs> I'm going to make a very very horrible anime reference here i'm sorry it's kind of like um i watch a, i used to love the tv show sailor moon um it's kind of like those episodes of sailor moon that people always say oh these are just monster of the day they don't really it doesn't really it's not really meaningful it doesn't matter in the main plot you can just skip them but ultimately they really matter because they build the characters and it makes you care about the characters um and that's i feel like what those early stories are and make it sets up gerald it sets up Je- Ye- uh, yennefer sets up dandelion and going forward you're really going to want to care about these characters and care about what's going to happen to them um yeah yeah well and we're so used to getting dropped into the middle of everything right yeah. like like that is absolutely what is the what we see in most of the stories that we that we read nowadays is mm-hmm. you get dropped in the middle, like just in the lives of these people. And you, it's your kind of your responsibility to figure it out. Like we don't like being, we don't like being fed a bunch of exposition. So like here, like in these individual stories, we're dropped in the middle and we're, we're kind of given details as we go and we have to figure it out, but they end up providing quality exposition heading into, heading into the, uh, novels proper mm-hmm. or the main storyline whatever we need to think of a catchy term for that but <laughs> i mean you can you can still like get some um building the world and the characters by like growing with them and that's what i find interesting with a lot of um um characters that you meet when they're quite young uh, and they're at the beginning of the story and so you will not dropped in the middle because you get you get um, them uh, as they discover themselves. And it's it's kind of that way here too, although it's done by short stories that ha- that are really random, but you also like grow with Geralt and to um, like when he learns to uh, accept whatever he's feeling. Um, and yeah, in the end it's worth it, but I'm, I'm still not going to say that um, that everything uh, in this new light um, is is better because I, I I don't really think that I would enjoy the first few stories more now uh, that I've 
gotten to this point, I think they will still have sure. the same flaws to my uh, to me. But no, sure, sure. Yeah. And like the, and like in those episodes of Sailor Moon were objectively not very good, but <laughs> they have they but serve I, a purpose. I think it's what yeah, I'm trying to. Yeah, and you're definitely right. Yeah. Can I just close out with uh, with a line I just find really wonderful? Yeah, or absolutely. A couple of lines. Sure. Um, I had one too, actually, Michal. <laughs> oh, awesome. Um, so this is the com- one of the last conversations between Jurga and Geralt. Um, and, um, you know, he's, he's Geralt. He, Jurga is basically offering one of his sons. Um, and Jurga says, protecting people, saving their lives. How do you d- judge that, bad or good? Those 14 on the hill, you there on that bridge. What were you doing, good or bad? I don't know said Geralt with an effort. I don't know, Yerga. Sometimes it seems to me that I know, and sometimes I have doubts. Would you like your son to have doubts like that? Why not? said the merchant gravely. He might as well, for it's a human and a good thing. What? Doubts. Only evil, sir. Never has any. Mm. Yeah, I just really... Yerga. Deep. Yerga gives me the feels. Yeah. That's super powerful, and I kind of missed it by reading fast to the end of that one, but yeah. Um, The... I had a Yurga quote as well, Michal, which wow. was... Oh, my God, this guy. <laughs> yeah. We well, stand wow. for Yurga. <laughs> Yurga the merchant. Best um, he says, as um, as um, Geralt is wondering why Yurga helped him, um, Yurga says, well, what can I say? It's a base world, he finally muttered. But that's no reason for all of us to become despicable. What we need is kindness. My father taught me that, and I teach it to my sons. Feels... Pretty relevant in 2020. <laughs> yeah, we need a lot more kindness. <laughs> we do. But, I mean, we also get it. Uh, we don't have enough, probably, but there's still a lot of kindness around us, at least around me, and maybe I'm fortunate, but um, it's like, okay, this is really away from, from the Witcher uh, things, but um, I agree that we need more kindness, but I think it's also important to recognize that uh, we already have a lot and mm-hmm. yeah so, well and i'll say in in my mind i think that things like justice and um overall like structuring society in ways we take care of each other all those things fall under kindness and love in my mind too so mm-hmm. absolutely I, I, I don't want to i don't want to just throw out a try everybody love everybody thing and that be it but i do think i do think there's a lot of a lot of truth to what Yurga said. And yeah. I think he would, not to project too much onto that character, but I don't think he just means looking at, you know, I don't think he just means taking care of a sick person. I think he means uh, kind society all around. Yeah, generally just, believing the good in people. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and I think you find it where you create it. You know, I think I think this story is Yurga interpreting what... Um, what Geralt does as a kindness and he's like well it's my job and he's like no 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 you didn't have to do that and then he reciprocates that with so much kindness by himself and I mean mm. really Siri is saved by the kindness of his wife right who, yeah. who takes in this little girl so yeah good people yes <sighs> hopefully he doesn't have me to Martin-esque all good people <laughs> just get slaughtered yeah. and don't, I don't want to know I don't want to know <laughs> <laughs> Well, that's too if it's bad. a later day. If it's a later day, I'll find out then. Um, well, I'm at a hard stop. Um, I don't want to cut it yeah. off, but um, two and a half hours already. Okay, <laughs> I'm ready to nap. Okay. A little try now. Okay. Um, does anyone have any other podcasts 
that they want to promote? Uh, not sure, actually. Okay. I do know we have um, Abby put together a podcast for the Hunger Games prequel, Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes, um, that should be coming out soon. And then that's the only one that is on my radar. Um, well, of course, we'll have follow-up to this one with Blood of Elves, which I will be who knows when. We'll, <laughs> we'll see. And um, if there's not any others, anyone's mind? Okay. Well, this has been... This has been Vassals of Kingsgrave. Thanks to everyone that, that joined. We will talk about Blood of Elves here in the next few weeks. Thanks. 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 Thanks, Thanks, Thanks Kevin. Kevin. Thanks, Thank you Good job. Great job for a time. <laughs> Congratulations to everyone who read this far and gotten to the good stuff. I'm proud of it. <laughs> I know, right, right. Yep. We're in the, in the long haul now. Yeah, all right. we are. Well, yeah. I'm late. I'm late for digital church, y'all. I gotta go. How dare you? Yeah, bye, Kevin. Bye, <laughs> okay. everyone. Bye. Bye. Bye, everyone. Bye. And today we are talking about the second half, the third the second trio of short stories from the Sword of Destiny from the Witcher series by Adrian Sepkowski. And today I am joined by Hall. Crap, sorry, I was in another window. Also, it's Andre <laughs> Sepkowski. That's him. What did I say? You said Adrian. It's definitely not Adrian. You're right. <laughs> <laughs> okay, let's uh, probably try the whole thing again. Does from he the solve top. crimes and have a penchant for being very clean? Is he married to. Uh... A boxer, rough and tumble boxer from Philadelphia. <laughs> Yo, Adrian. Um, what did what did I just see, Adrian? Oh, Space Force. They literally named. Uh, oh no, this is going poorly. Um, they named uh, Malkovich's character just so they could have a scene where Steve Carell yells, "Adrian." <laughs> so you're the person who's watching Space Force. I knew there was somebody. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's it's fine. I mean, it's. I mean, man, no judgment. I'm watching Real Housewives of Jeba- Johannesburg right now. So. Yeah. <laughs> oh God, that's a rough. That's a rough comparison. <laughs> that that I feel like there is a lot of potential for a lot. Like, anyways. Oh man. Um. All right. Let's try this again. <clears throat> Three, two, one. Hello and welcome to Vassals of Kingsgrave. They will be discussing the Sword of Destiny, the second installation of Andrei Sapkowski's. Witcher series. We'll be talking about the second trio of short stories in this book before getting into the proper main story on the next cast. Um, I am joined today, try again, because I forgot to say my name. (laughs) (laughs) Now I'm thinking about it. It's okay. You're doing well, Kevin. We've (laughs) all been there. We've all been there. I've never done this part. I stumbled over our name in my first one, so... A couple times. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Uh, The best part is it will all die when I edit. All right, try again. Hello, welcome back. Kevin, hang on. No, sorry. You're leaving Adrian Zabkowski in the outtakes. I'm sorry. That has to be in there, I insist. (laughs) That's the joy of of after... Okay, hang on. I'm going to go on my phone and make a list of things to hit because um, <laughs> i'm like i'm saying i'm like all right vok i always Kevin. always script my the the shows that i'm uh listing i'm like yeah. okay 
first you say that, then you don't forget the people, you don't forget yourself. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Literally, anyone who's seen my reread notes, I mean, I I literally write it out, Kevin. There's no shame in doing it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I write my intro and my ending. Otherwise, <laughs> you just forget stuff. Right. I use. And that's after however many of these I posted. So. <laughs> okay. Have you done a hundred yet? <laughs> well, as in hosting. Yeah. I'm you not must sure. be. I mean, you've done you a must, lot of them. Must have. Yeah. I've I been mean, on. I've definitely been on that level, but but you know, I wasn't on any of the Game of Thrones ones, so that takes out. A bit. That's um, true. Yeah, but like, how many of the reread episodes uh, are there? And you must have hosted like at least a third of that. Right. Yeah, probably. No, we're at 108 or 10 or so. Although we do know, of course, that Matt was on more than me. So. Right. <laughs> really? He, wow. By like one. Every- it was like by one, wasn't it? <laughs> Okay, deep breath and go. Hello, and welcome to Vassals of Kingsgrave. I'm Creeping Uncle Kevin. <laughs> I knew you were going to yeah, say Yeah, you're that. no longer creepy now, aren't you? I was, I was waiting for that. <laughs> all right, try again. God, all in my own head. This is why I could never be an actor. <clears throat> Hello, and welcome to Vassals of Kingsgrave. I'm Kevin, Uncle Kevin on the forums, and today we'll be discussing The Sword of Destiny, the second installment in Adrian... 